Well, before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kedshenu B'Mitzvatav Etzivanu LaSok B'Divrei Torah Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I just had a funny moment. I'm going to take you behind the scenes here. <clears throat> I opened up my notes and I went to the first page and I started looking at my notes and I thought, this is not what I'm speaking about today. These notes are what I spoke about last week. And I had a moment, not of panic, but of uncertainty. And the uncertainty was, will I have to do this entire message without any notes? And it would not be my first time. But um, I'm so grateful that it was just two pages of last week I forgot to get out of my notebook. Whoo! Yes, yeah, so, okay, back to the real world that you're living in. <clears throat> uh, you might never know some of the things that happen during services, but um, there are moments when we'll tell you <laughs> like this. As we're getting ready for the high holidays with Rosh Hashanah starting tomorrow evening, it's a time for us to examine ourselves, and we want to examine ourselves with honesty and humility because it's a time for us to acknowledge our own sins and our failures to the Lord and in fact, this may be the one time of the year when the entire Jewish world is talking about sin and repentance. During this time, some people actually struggle and say to themselves, I'm just not good enough for God to love me. And they think that they must become good enough first and then God will love them. And I know that this is a real trap. It's a real trap because none of us can ever be good enough. It's also a trap because if we think if we improve ourselves and God will love us, then forever we'll be questioning the love of God and we'll think we're in an insecure place and that we have to earn the love of God. There is another way of thinking and it says something like this, I will start loving God because God is good. And even though I have all my imperfections and sins now, he will help me grow now because of his love, and he will help me grow my love. I personally favor the second way of thinking. And, and there are several reasons why I think it's better. First, it does reflect the reality that God loved me before I loved him. And second, it protects me from those snares 
the one that says, I can somehow earn God's love by being good enough. And third, it's consistent with the teachings of Moses and Yeshua, with the prophets of Israel and the apostles of Yeshua. And fourth, it encourages me to keep growing and to learn to love more and more and to allow God to work in me and on me more and more. I want to read to you some scriptures, just a few from the New Covenant, Berta Chadashah. First in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. It says this, and love consists in this, not that we loved God. Let's say that. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Let's say that together. But that he loved us. So it's not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And it goes on and says, and he sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then John continues in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Let's say that together. We love because he first loved us. Who did the loving first? He did. The Lord did. This is so important to us. And then Romans chapter 5 verse 8. You know who wrote Romans? Who wrote? Paul, Shaul, right. Was Paul Jewish? Yes. The Romans he wrote were not Jewish. They were Italian. Seriously. It may seem obvious when I say it, but you may not have thought it. You might have thought, you know, Romans, you know, who knows? He wrote this, Romans 5, verse 8. God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. Let's say this together. Repeat after me. But God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. Good. Even when you lived without any faith, Messiah loved you. He died so that you would have an atoning sacrifice for your sins. And he did this before you knew him. He did this before you believed in him. And here's the reality, because I'm looking around at everybody who thinks they're young and everybody who thinks they're old, whichever one you are, he did this before you were even born. We don't try to earn his love, and here's the reason. Because he's already proved to us his love for us. He's already proved it. When we come to Yeshua, we are recognizing what he has proved to us. His faithful and covenant love empowers us to love. We don't try to earn his love because he's already proved his love to us. 
many of the things that you will read about in the Brita Hadashah about the struggles people have about whether they're Jewish or not Jewish, what's required, what's not required, and so forth. A lot of that is actually connected to the insecurity that people have about God's love. And people who are struggling to, to earn God's love are looking for ways to do it. And so they're thinking, oh, you know what? If I have the right talit, I can earn God's love. If I have the right tzitzit, the right fringes, I can do it. If I wear the right kippah, or if I, if I move in the right way. If you see some Jewish people who are chuckling, you'll notice that there are some people who are, who are new to faith who think, oh, if I do that, I'm going to be closer to God. And so they learn to do that. But other people learn other ways, and people look around at superficial external things that would give them a way of proving to themselves that they are good enough in doing the right thing. But it's all a trap. And it's not that there are some things that are good and some things that are not good. There are. There are some good things and there are some things that are worthless. But whenever you're trying to earn God's love because you don't know that he loves you because you don't know he is good and you don't know that he's proved his love, that's when you're already in a difficult situation. God's love gives us a perfect example of how to love and his love shows us the way to love. His love touches our hearts. It changes our hearts. God can circumcise our hearts just as Moses taught. And when we say circumcise the heart, you know that's a figure of speech. How many of you were wondering, if you were wondering, I want, to rest, I want you to rest assured, there is a circumcision that is not a figure of speech, but the circumcision of the heart is, is like a, a metaphor or a simile. Which do you think it is, metaphor? Metaphor, all in favor of metaphor? Metaphor, good for me. Okay, metaphor. It's a, it's a way of saying that there's something like this resistant layer on our hearts that needs to be taken away. Not coped with, but fixed by being removed. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, speaks of this. And I'm going to test you. How many of you are turning in your Bibles right now to that? I want to commend you. Congratulations. How many of you are flicking because you have a digital Bible? Flicking is good. Turning is good. It's all good. Flipping is even good. 
Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, then Adonai your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your children. So that, Eric Painter pointed out that I love these two words, so that. (laughs) We've been together a long time, he knows. So that you will love Adonai your God with all your heart and all your being and thus you will live. Who will do the circumcising? The Lord. What will he circumcise? The heart. So that, here's the result, so that you will love Adonai your God with all your heart and all your being. And thus you will live. The Lord will do something that will benefit us. He will do it. Why will he do that? Because he's good. Because he loves us because you don't have to earn his love. His love is what will make you better. His love is what will fix what's wrong. Of course, we have to cooperate. Isaiah the prophet echoes the way this all works. In Isaiah 57, starting in verse 15, I guess it's just one verse actually. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever and whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So the Lord says about himself, I am high and exalted and I live forever and my name is holy. That's what we just read. And he says, I live in a high and a holy place. But I also live with the contrite one and the one who's lowly in spirit. He doesn't say, I live with the perfect ones. I live with the ones who have earned my love. I live with the ones who are good enough. That's not what he says. He looks at the heart and he can discern, are we contrite? Are we lowly in spirit? Or are we proud and self-sufficient? Are we arrogant? He can tell the difference. He is so high and so exalted and so holy and we are not. King David, you may know, was not faithful all the time. But when he faced his sin, he was contrite, he was broken, he was lowly in spirit, and he humbled himself before the Lord. And Psalm 51 is all about that. And one of the things that David wrote, it's Psalm 51, verse 17, reflects all that we've been reading. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David understood this. King David understood. The Lord was looking not for for pride or perfection. 
He was looking for contrition for those who were contrite, for those who humbled themselves honestly before the Lord and who took a lower position with God because they knew their sin. These are examples for us. We don't have to earn the love of God because we can't earn the love of God. We don't have to wonder whether God is a God of love because he's proved he is a God of love. He's proved it. And as a follower of Yeshua, I want to take to heart his word to love in the way that he loves us. Yeshua said this, if you love one another as I have loved you, then all will know you are my disciples. Well, this is very hard to do, isn't it? You can set a lower standard or a different pattern. But Yeshua said, this is how the world will know. This is how everyone will know you're my disciples. And it helps explain why so ineffective sometimes the proclamation of the gospel is because it's not consistent with the life of the gospel. But his love, Yeshua's love, becomes our pattern and our standard. It's a very high standard. And it's one that we will never reach, but we can aim towards all of our life. And it's good to be honest about this. It's good to, to, to say, I want to aim in that direction. I want to set that as a pattern. I'm going to set that as a personal standard. And when I fall short, I want to acknowledge it before the Lord and deal with it. It will help us. Now, it's with a lot of gratitude and with confidence that I want to talk to you about God's love for you. God's covenant of love binds you to him. And it gives you the framework for the life of faith. God's covenant of love is powerful. It is dynamic. It is a covenant that reaches back to Abraham the father of faith, the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob is also known as Israel, so the father of Israel, Abraham the father of the Jewish people. God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob kept the children of Israel through difficult times, which were many, and through times of ease, which were few. The covenant kept the children of Israel during the journey out of slavery in Egypt, through the 40 years in the wilderness and into the land promised first to Abraham and then to them. And when you think about the slavery in Egypt and what that was like and you think about it, don't just think about a Passover Seder that's easy because we're free. But remember, if you can, try to imagine what it must have been the, the terrible pain of having the government steal your children and then kill them. Taking 
little boys and destroying them, two-year-olds and killing them. It's happened to other peoples too. Remember the fact that God's covenant kept the children of Israel in the 40 years in the wilderness and into the land promised first to Abraham, but then to the children of Israel. The covenant also reaches forward to all the future generations of Israel. The Jewish people descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it keeps reaching forward to those who have not yet been born, but will be. Now, there's always a risk when we talk about God's faithfulness to the Jewish people that people who were not born into Jewish families will say, well, what about us? And here's the fact. God's covenant with Israel is big enough to include people from other nations who have decided to go with God, to go with the God of Israel. The God of Israel is the God of the whole earth. The scripture says this, the earth is the Lord's and all who dwell therein. The God of Israel is the God of the whole earth and all who dwell on this planet. Now God's covenant with Israel reaches even beyond the land of Israel and the people Israel. The prophet Malachi put it succinctly, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Let's say that. Great is the Lord. You say that after me. Great is the Lord. Even beyond the borders of Israel. Now, right now, everyone who's here in the sanctuary, you are beyond the borders of Israel. Great is the Lord. God's covenant will reach even further, touching the whole world, because it's the will of God that in Messiah no one would perish and everyone would experience his salvation. For God so loved the world. Isn't that what the scripture says? Yeah, for God so loved the world. The covenant is a binding relationship with commitments and responsibilities, and it brings together the law of God and the love of God. The law of God and the love of God are not um, antagonistic towards each other. They work together. They are integrated. This week's Torah portion speaks about the amazing reach of God's covenantal mercy because it touches the children of Israel, young and old, men and women, elders and officers, both those who were born into Jewish families and those who were not born into Jewish families, but join themselves willingly and wholeheartedly to the God of Israel and the people Israel. And Moses speaks about this when he's speaking in Deuteronomy 29. You can turn there, 29 verse 10. And he expresses the purpose of the gathering that he's addressing. Its covenantal purpose is made clear to produce stability. Stability to establish people. Deuteronomy 29, verse 10, all of you stand today before the Lord, your God. Your leaders and your tribes, your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel. Your little ones, your wives, also the foreigner 
who is in your camp, the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water. High, low, men, women, those of great status, those without any status. Then verse 12. <laughs> Eric, this is, this is my week. So that. <laughs> so that. Say that with me. So that. So many times the scriptures open up to us the reasoning and the purpose of something so that we can understand because understanding is necessary to bring forth good fruit so that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, so that he may establish you today as a people for himself, and so that he may be God to you. So here's the purpose. Moses says this, the Lord wants to establish you today as a people for himself. That's the benefit. That's, that's why God had gathered the people together and Moses was addressing them and explaining to them. That's why this was written down and recorded and has been kept so that you and I could read this now, thousands of years later, and we could take it to heart. The Lord wants to establish. He wants to make solid Laman Hakim is what the Hebrew says, for the sake of establishing, to raise you up, to stabilize you, so that you can stand and remain standing. Ephesians 6 speaks about spiritual warfare and, and weapons, and one of the phrases that Paul uses is this, and so that you may stand and remain standing. That's what... Moses is saying too. That's what God has been saying and that's what he is still saying. Anybody ever been in an experience of difficulty where you wondered whether you could get back up? I have. Have you ever gotten back up and then got knocked down again and wondered whether you could get back up? I have. Here's the good news. That, well, this part's not the good news. Before you hear the good news, here's the bad news. The bad news is that might keep happening because there's trouble in this world. There's trouble in this life. And some of what we feel is terrible trouble is, is not as bad as what our forefathers and foremothers and ancestors have gone through. And they got up. And they got back up. And they experienced loss, and they were covered. That's why we're here. They're not gone. They survived. They made it. Okay, that's the bad news. The bad news is there's trouble in this world. The good news is God will help you get back up. He lifts up the falling. So mech noflim. He lifts up the falling. And there are times when you'll be falling and you may 
say, oh God. And you'll find sometimes he'll catch you before you fall. And sometimes he'll pick you up after you fall. But this is the good news. He's not abandoning you. He's telling you the truth. This life is filled with tribulation. Yeshua went through tribulation and trouble, and he said, if I do, you will. And he said, take heart. Take heart. Take heart. Now, I don't know about you, but this stuff doesn't always sell very well. But it's true. A lot of advertising is based on trying to make everything seem better than it really is. If you drink this beer, your life will be perfect. <laughs> That's, or, or, I mean, how many advertisements are there that guarantee if you spend your money on their thing, your life is gonna be so much better. The Lord, on the other hand, isn't selling that kind of stuff. He's, he's offering freely the truth. The truth is life is difficult, but it's beautiful. Life is beautiful. The life that God has created is good. The life that God has given us is a good life. The life that he promises us is a wonderful life despite the tears. When will all the tears be wiped away? Later, in heaven. Not now. You and I yearn for the heavenly reality, but we don't live in that reality yet. However, we have proof that there's life after life, because Yeshua had life after he was killed, right? And not only that, he returned to heaven. Different phases of life. And not only that, he returned to heaven, then he sent his Holy Spirit. Now I know me, I don't know you as well, but I know this, if I got out of this world somehow, I don't think I'd want to come back. <laughs> I'd say, whew, that was rough. <laughs> Yeshua went through the rough. Then he returned to heaven and said, I will send my spirit, the spirit of the Son." right? And where's he going to live? Oy vey. In our hearts? Of all the places he could live. You know, that's a dark place. To live inside of us. But that's what he chose to do. He returned to heaven so that he could send his spirit. To live inside each of us. Not just a few. Not just like the holy saints. Not just the ones who attain to the highest level, 
but to everyone. The Holy Spirit was given to brand new believers. People who didn't know or understand anything. Do you remember when Peter went to the household of um, Cornelius? And, and he, was, he was telling them how to be saved and he had a message. And he wasn't finished and the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles there. And they got filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in tongues in the same way that Peter and the others had on Shavuot in Jerusalem. And Peter was amazed. It's like, what's going on? And what was going on was this. God was doing what he wanted to do. Not what Peter wanted to do. Not what Peter understood. Peter didn't understand until after it happened. In a way, Peter said, what's going on? And the Lord said, I'm making people for me. I'm renewing people. Don't call people unclean. Don't judge between who is Jewish and who's not Jewish. I can reach anyone who turns their heart to me. And not just can, the Lord wants to. So Peter came back different. He came back to the other Jewish apostles and said, I, I gotta tell you something I did. I don't know what you're gonna think of it, but I immersed them in water. I didn't circumcise them. They didn't become Jews, but they became messianic. They became followers of Messiah. And all the Jewish apostles said, is that kosher? Can Gentiles be saved? It was a question. No one had the answer until God showed the answer by what he did. And they looked and said, well, I guess they can, surprise. Who knew? Because the Jewish people did know that God would be gracious to Gentiles who wanted to become Jewish and join with the Jewish people. There was a way for that. But they didn't know, could people who were not Jewish and, and didn't become Jews, could they be saved by God? And the answer was, yeah. You know, fast forward a few centuries, a few, many centuries, and there are many people who wonder, can Jews be saved? Well, not unless they become Gentiles. <laughs> Pardon me. You know I'm a smart aleck. This is good. This is giving me strength. The Lord wants to establish us. He wants to make us solid. He wants to raise us up, stabilize us, so that we can stand and remain standing. And so that, and this is very important, so that you will be his people. Not just individuals. So much of the gospel of Yeshua is only focused on the individual side and not the side of peoplehood. And it undermines the Jewish people because of that. 
the Jewish people still exist. And so that he may be God to you, no one else, nothing else, our single highest loyalty and love. And then it says, just as he has spoken to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 14, I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, and not only with you, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with the one who's not here with us today. Here's the good news. None of us were there. None. None of the Jews here and none of the Gentiles here were there that day. And God was making a covenant that reaches forward all the way to this moment and it will reach beyond. So when I look back and I think of all this, I think this is the history of my people. It's my history. It's our history. And I can tell you this, it can be your history too. I wrote something and I didn't know where it fit until just this moment. And so I'm gonna speak to it. I wanna say something to some of you. Some of you may have been hiding your Jewishness. Someone else may have been hiding it from you. You may have thought you're one thing but it turns out you're another thing. I've met people all over the world that it happened so frequently, it was weekly that I met someone who had just discovered that they were Jewish and that their family had hidden it from them, trying to protect them from persecution. And then there were times when it was daily. You may have heard also that you're not Jewish because you weren't raised in the synagogue. You, you didn't raise, you, you didn't, uh, go to synagogue as a child. Or you may have been told you're not Jewish because it's your dad, not your mom, who's Jewish. Or because it was just your grandparents or even your great-grandparents. And I want to tell you something, that your Jewishness is something precious to God. He keeps track of it and he's restoring that preciousness. And some of you are struggling because people will tell you, you can't be Jewish and believe in Yeshua. And so if you are Jewish and you know it, and you want to believe in Yeshua, you think you have to stop being Jewish. Or you think, well, Yeshua is not for me because I'm Jewish. But I want to tell you, you can be Jewish and you can believe in Yeshua. We are, we do, you can too. And I wanna encourage you to take care and to take time to discover what Jewishness and faith in Messiah look like and how they work together. They are not in opposition, they fortify each other. The covenant that God makes with us through Messiah 
requires a commitment to the God of Israel, to the Messiah of Israel, and to the people of Israel. It's a wholehearted commitment because our God is jealous for his people. One God, one Lord. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha b'chol levavcha v'chol nafshecha v'chol me'odecha. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Yeshua said, Shman ve'hafta together. Greatest commandment that there is. Let me go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, verse 17 and 18. So let there not be among you a man, a woman, a family, a tribe whose heart turns away today from Adonai, your God, to go and serve the gods of those other nations. Let there not be among you a root bearing such bitter poison and wormwood, if there is such a person. When he hears the words of this curse, the blessing and the curse, he'll bless himself secretly and say to himself, I'm gonna be okay, even though I can will stubbornly keep doing whatever I feel like doing. We read that and we have to ask, why is this in there? And I think it's because the covenant requires that we recognize that God alone has commanding authority. And we recognize his goodness and his love and we cannot be stubborn and do whatever we want. The blessings of the covenant come to those who open their hearts to him and who want to follow him. So let it be during the season that we learn to pray the way Yeshua taught us to pray. It's in Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Matthew's account, Yeshua goes on, verse 14, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, ouch, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you forgive other people when they sin against you. Anybody ever experienced this, people sinning against you? Yeah, forgive. Your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, we can freely forgive, but there's still a need to rebuild trust if it's possible. There's still a need for restoration, but forgiveness stands on its own. And as we approach the new year, we want to be prepared to give an account to our Lord and King, our Redeemer and Savior. Let's come before him with clean hands and clean hearts, having forgiven others even as God has forgiven us. It's one of the best ways to prepare for the high holidays. So your heart may be telling you, this is too much. Or your heart might be saying, you know what? I'm all in. If you wanna put everything you have into this life of faith, it's good to be clear with yourself and to take advantage of this moment, whether you're here with us 
in the sanctuary or you're participating online, make today an important moment for yourself while your heart and your mind are both clear. And tell the Lord what you've decided. If you've decided today, you are going to humble yourself before God, confess your sin, acknowledge your need for the atoning sacrifice of Yeshua, and put your life in his hands. If you're ready to do that, tell him and act on it and tell a friend and tell me too, I like to hear. And let's thank the Lord for your new beginnings and our new beginnings for a clean slate and a blessed life in God. I wanna close with Isaiah 63, part of the Haftorah portion. Starting in verse seven, I will recall the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of Adonai. Because of all that Adonai has granted us in his great goodness toward Beth Israel. You might say, Beth Israel? Actually, it says that. In Hebrew, it says, Beit Yisrael. It's speaking to the house of Israel, but it's also speaking to us. His great goodness toward Beth Israel, which he bestowed on them in keeping with his mercy, keeping with the greatness of his compassion, for he said, they are indeed my people, children who are not disloyal. And so he became their savior. In all their troubles, he was troubled. And then the angel of his presence saved them in his love and compassionate empathy, he redeemed them. As we're preparing for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, let's remember that Isaiah prophesied about God's salvation, his promises to redeem Israel, to join together the Jewish people of faith and the people of faith from all the nations, and let's be strong in that calling. Our God is awesome. He is a good shepherd. He's your shepherd. He's my shepherd. I want to invite Eric Painter and the worship group to... uh, Get ready for a closing song. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your covenant of love and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you have proved your love to us by the death and the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua, who died so that we could have a sacrifice that atones for our sins. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, for your forgiveness. We want to live for you all the days of our lives in Yeshua's name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand and just let's join together in this song, My Shepherd, that Eric wrote. Amen. When I plan worship every week, most times I have this very clear sense of what I want uh, us to focus on as a theme and to sing about. And sometimes I get a feeling like I think we're supposed to do this song, but I don't know why or I don't know where. And so uh, this is the story with my shepherd for this week. And so I said, well, if the Lord wants us to use it, I'll put it at the end and Rabbi can decide. I'll let the Holy Spirit decide and speak to us and let us know if we want to to do this song. And so as we were sitting here uh, during, uh, as I was sitting here while Rabbi David was teaching, uh, the Lord just started giving me thoughts about this song and so I I will do my best to share cogently (laughs) these thoughts Uh, but fortunately they're simple thoughts and that is the key you know when I think about the 23rd Psalm which this song is based on 
for whatever reason, the part of the psalm that just always comes to me is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, and so on. And like that's the idea of the song. And as I was sitting here, I realized I need to change my, my picture of this song because that's just the starting point. And the key word in this psalm is shepherd. What does shepherd mean? A shepherd means that he's the one that's leading the sheep. And sheep are, are, that's us. Sheep are these creatures that want to go wherever they want to go. But the job of the shepherd is to lead them where they don't want to go. And so this psalm paints a picture that the shepherd is leading us through the valley of the shadow of death. I, maybe that's a valley that we didn't want to go through, but he's leading us through it. And if it's the shepherd who's leading us, it's not because he wants us to dwell in or to reside in the valley of the shadow of death. It's because he's taking us somewhere. So there is goodness in front of us. Where the shepherd is taking us is good. And the end of the psalm tells us that goodness and grace will pursue us. And so if we're choosing to follow the shepherd, not only is he leading us to something good, we have goodness chasing us from behind. And so this is a change of mindset for me about this psalm. But the key is that we have to choose to follow the shepherd. And a key to that is, some, is exactly what Rabbi is teaching us this morning, is acknowledging that he loved us first. We have to choose him, and it's not because we love him. We choose him because we acknowledge and recognize that he loved us first. And we choose him, and then as we begin to experience him, to experience his goodness that he leads us into and the goodness that he, he commands to chase after us, as we experience all of that goodness, our love for him grows and deepens. And so as we sing this song this morning, let's think of this as we look ahead into the new year, into Rosh Hashanah, and believe and trust that there is goodness in front of us. Amen? Do we need goodness ahead of us? Do we need goodness to chase behind us and overtake us? I know I do. I know we do. So let's sing this song together.
closing for today. I want to invite you next door to have fellowship with us at the Shalom Center of Egg, and also to come back tomorrow night for Erev Rosh Hashanah. Join us tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m. Shabbat Shalom, everyone.